You never get into moods where you don't want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, I do. I've never seen one. I've never been privy. And I must tell you that it makes me feel like a piece of shit. Why? Because I get in these moods where I don't want to talk. For example, right now, I do not want to speak. It's going to be very difficult for me to do this show. I don't know if I could have actually ever done a full-time radio show in my life. It was a dream. It was an idea at one point. I'll do radio. I'll do it every day. But I get in these moods where I do not want to speak. And it's a, there's, a, there's a mental block. And right now I'm just plowing through what feels like a brick wall. <laughs> Maybe you need to, you know, plow through those brick walls more often. No, it's not fun. And doesn't often work. Um, progress, making progress and change is often not fun. Also, you didn't call me out for blaming you. Because you like to speak doesn't mean that, you know, it's your fault that I feel like a piece of shit. Oh, I, I'm not taking that on. You're allowed to feel like a piece of shit and feel like what I'm doing is making you feel some kind of way. Stop making me feel awful. <laughs> by being so awesome and by, understanding and great. By being who right. you are. <laughs> I can't deal with that. Yeah. So how would you prefer me to be? Like, no. I would prefer it to be uh, mm. like at the end of Phantom where you leave. I yell, go now, leave me. Mm -hmm. But then you're really sad that I've left. Sure. <laughs> I just, you know, I'd be left alone and then make my eventual escape to Coney Island. And if it were the old Coney Island, the trash filled Coney Island with <laughs> hypodermic needles everywhere, I think that'd be okay with that. But the old Coney Island used to have boarded up storefronts right across the street from the Nathan's Hot Dog where they do the hot dog eating competition. But, uh, you know, now these days they have stores there called It's Sugar and a candy store is open. <laughs> so it's not really the Coney Island I would like to be exiled to. Back when freaks were allowed to roam around freely and be freaks and other people didn't get offended that there were freaks and there were giant seagulls that looked like pterodactyls, seagull dactyls. And that's all changed. And now the only freaks you get are tourists. <laughs> Which is a whole other kind of freak. But uh, okay, that's enough of that. Because uh, we know that my mental illness doesn't play well. It doesn't play. It's not a popular topic on this show. So we'll just move into the episode. Let's make that an episode, though, for sure. No, that never. It's embarrassing is what the review will say. What an embarrassing episode. Or people will hear it and identify with it. And maybe you will feel less alone and so will they. Wishful thinking. I'm writing it down. Greg's mental illness. Look, I view this as a job, <laughs> this uh, this podcast, and I'm going to execute that job. How's that for a lead-in? Welcome to One Topic, where we stick to one topic. My name is Autumn Fisher. My name is Greg Russ, and this week's episode is going to be about jobs. I know that it's strange to introduce it like that because it's already in the description. People know what they're getting when they start listening. But uh, the reason for this, I, it's already kind of been addressed at the beginning of this episode. I just, I'm really not in the mood to speak, but this, it's not as straightforward as a job. I also find enjoyment in doing the podcast. And I take ownership of the podcast. So it's not something shitty like I rake leaves for a living and I just do that to get a paycheck. Uh, one, there's no paycheck involved in this at all. So it's a labor of 
complete love, <laughs> sometimes like, <laughs> sometimes disdain. And we haven't missed a week. And so we, I feel like we cannot break that streak. No, we can't. So now there's pressure to always do it, even when we don't want to do it. We could do it earlier in the week. So well, it's not so up to the li- to the wire like yeah, this. It's a Sunday afternoon. We're recording this on Sunday. Uh, also, I don't want to say that this week I don't necessarily feel like doing it because we already had that episode a few weeks ago. We don't feel like doing this show. Uh, that's not the case, and I don't, you know, I don't want to relay that. Um, but I view it as a job, also because of this, the reason you stated that we've done it every week. So I want to continue that, and that just got me thinking about my jobs over the course of my life. And you know, I really sucked so much <laughs> at many of those jobs, and you know, the job I have now, which I don't talk to that often, talk about that often. If I was talking to my job. Mark that time so you can you can edit it later. Why? Because you messed up. Why? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> we would never do that. I'm not editing anything. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to sound like a fool, then I have to sound like a fool. Anyway. Talk to your job. I, yes, I talk to my job at night. That's where it's gotten me. It's been very busy lately, lately and that's where it's gotten me. But, you know, I think uh, for the first time in my life, I'm enjoying a job. And I got curious in my progression. How did I get here? And I'm sure everyone else is you know, waiting, champing at the bit to come along for the ride. So let's start (laughs) going all the way back to the year 19. Well, that's actually not true. I was going to say 1997 was my first official job, but I would uh, cut lawns and power wash driveways long before that Hmm. as a young boy who probably didn't mow straight lines in people's yards. Uh, though sometimes in yards I would get fancy and try to do designs, pick a center point and go diagonally out from that center point. That's fun. Or just cut diagonally, not just straight across. And uh, I would love that. Like a really, like a lawn that you could mow where you'd really see the up and down strokes of the lawnmower. That would be really fun. Well, there was one guy in the neighborhood who had a tree in the center of his front yard. So that was, I would radiate out from the tree. Yeah, like a, cir- a circle around it. Uh, Did you ever make like a diamond shape? No, I didn't get that fancy. Hmm. Ultimately, I was just saving up money to buy a go-kart. And how old were you when you were doing that? Middle school. Would you call that a job? It's a what a, what a, what a gig economy job before the gig economy. I feel like that's something you did. And when I think of a job, I think that there's someone above you. There was someone above me. Mr... I can't remember as the his customer. name. Not nah, above was, you. He was. He could have yelled at me and fired me. He was the boss. He gave mm. me the paycheck, the well, cash. Yeah, but he, it's not like he had to go to. I, okay, I I know what you're saying. It's, we're splitting hairs. The cold glass of milk after a hot summer's <laughs> day of work, which glass of milk. It's disgusting. Is that true? Yes. They gave you a glass of milk. Yeah, they would give me a glass, and when Ew. I was done, they would invite me in. He and his wife. They were older. That's really cute, though. That does seem like a World War II thing. Like, here's a hearty glass of milk and a slice of pie. They would talk to me a little bit, and I would have to drink milk after I'd Oof. been sweating outside. Yeah. Thank you for the milk. It was probably Thank whole you. milk. The yeah. thickest, fattiest milk you could get. But anyway, um, for the sake of this, like you said, that's a one-off job. Mm-hmm. You're not required to return several times. And, you know, I had a goal in mind. Again, save up enough money for a (laughs) go-kart that I would later execute a hit and run on. A literal hit on a person. Yeah, a punch and run. Yeah. He deserved it. 
Anyway, um, so the first job I actually had was Publix. That's it. That's where it all began. Not a cashier. No, I, a bag boy. Bag boy. A bag boy who wanted and dreamed of being a stock boy and couldn't get to that place. Why not? They wouldn't allow me. They didn't. They, maybe if I put in more time, the truth is I worked there two months and I just stopped showing up. <laughs> you were 15? I was 15. How are you getting there? I think my mom was driving me. Yeah. And then one day you just told her, don't take me to Publix today. I forget what I said. Something- Ooh, was it the Publix that you guys shopped where you shopped? Yeah. Ooh, so they would just see you like, where you been? I've, I saw You're everyone, on the schedule. Everyone I knew also in the neighborhood. Yeah. People would come in. You had to wear this badge that said, no tipping. That's my pleasure. And I would take the pin off. Yeah. And I would take the tips when people gave me the tips. And you're supposed to refuse the tips if they did offer them anyway. And if they insisted, you would take it. And I didn't play by those rules. Of course I would, not. I would smash products that I wanted. <laughs> and then they would be damaged. And then uh, I would take them home. Uh, if you worked hard, you got a chip that you could get a free public sub with. Ooh. And uh, How did they determine if you'd worked hard enough? I have no clue because I never got a chip. Because <laughs> you didn't? It's because you were taking tips. Take tips, no chips. I would just go get the sub sometimes and uh, take it to the break room and leave it there and then leave home or leave for home with it. I was it, a bad employee. Listen, it doesn't, it doesn't seem that hard to steal a public sub to begin with, but especially if you work there. No, it's not. Public still doesn't have self-checkouts. There is a little security in place yeah you do have to go through a cashier but if you're just getting the sub that was something that i did later in life meaning going back to the publics i used to work at that i just stopped showing up to work <laughs> for and getting a sub and then going up to the ticket master counter and asking about tickets for a concert i didn't give a shit about just to distract it's like well he was up there i don't know what he was doing maybe yeah. he paid for that thing uh-huh. and then i would have the- he stopped looking like he would steal that because he's talking to an employee yeah and then i would walk out with it yeah Cool. Not proud. Awful employee. I think any kid at any job is an awful employee and you should never hire kids. But that's the problem when you only want to pay whatever they were paying, $5.50 an hour. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the minimum wage was like $5.75 or something. And maybe the job isn't worth worth more than that. But when you're hiring kids, maybe there are some kids. We can get into your job history. You know, when I think about this, that childish behavior carried on much longer than it should have (laughs) in my job history. Yeah. Uh, It just carried on in my life much longer and still lingers. It still exists in many ways, even though I'm working on that. But, um, yeah, what was your first job and how old were you? I was 15 and it was at Little Caesars. Little Caesars. Um, And I feel like I was, I enjoyed it. My friend Anna uh, who's my like sister, um, worked there with me and I enjoyed the job. It was a weird time. There was like this manager, (sighs) the owner would come by every once in a while. And of course, anytime he came by, he ruined the flow. You know how like you and your employees have like a flow of how things go. And then the man, like the, uh, the owner comes in and then they come in and they try and do things or they step in and you're like, no, that's not how we, you know, set things. Up. Well, what are you doing? Making the pizzas? I was answering phones, sometimes making pizzas. 
Um, well, if you're making the pizzas and the owner or the manager comes in, I assume it's, or is it a franchise owner? Yeah, it was a franchise owner. And then the manager was, to me, much older, but he probably was like 25. Oh, yeah. Um, those those jobs. That's another yeah. thing about early jobs when your manager is also a kid. Yeah. But you think they're so old. And you he also, might not have even have been 25. He might have been like 23. Yeah. You also judge them for being so old and having such a shitty job. Well, he was cool, you know, like he smoked weed and he was he was staying at, um, you know, on 78 when you're going towards Stone Mountain and it's that in between between Snellville and Stone Mountain. And it's like all those car dealerships and stuff. I, I'm not aware of that. Oh, yeah. That's the other side of town for you. It is funny growing up on the opposite side of the suburbs, both north of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But I was on the west side. You yeah. were on the east side. There wasn't much crossover. There wasn't much going over to. Oh, no. When up I was 85. Oh. I lived up 75. You lived up 85. We stayed on our sides. Yeah. I don't know anything about your side of town until I got a job. Um, up that way um but anyway um oh yeah so he was he he was he had problems you know he was like staying in one of those you know like super best motels and i went up there once and i was it was dangerous i should not have gone there by myself and i like smoked out you know we smoked out in his weird hotel room and he really could have like hurt me and you know he didn't but he was like a dangerous guy. <laughs> I should, I would never have. How let, so was he dangerous? Because I mean, yes, it's he a was situation. Era- he was erratic. So like during shifts that were busy, he would get like pissed and he'd take the phone and like smash it on the wall and stuff. Like, yeah. All right. Yeah. You shouldn't have gone up to his red no. roof in. It, it's worse than a red. You know, it was like a super eight. You know, one of those things. It was really bad. When um, it was a motel. So the front door was actually on the outside, not yeah. the inside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so that was my first job. And I remember one time uh, the owner had come in and you know how in those industrial like restaurant kitchens, there's three sinks and then there's those plaques on the wall. Maybe if people don't know this, there are plaques on the wall and it tells you like which soap um, goes in here for like the, the, the soak, you know, for the things that you need to clean. And then the second sink is for this colored soap and that's for washing and like washing things off and then the third one is supposed to be this special thing that is like to help rinse things off and i never a was taught how to use those sinks properly and i never once did it i would take the pan that the pizza was made on and i would just spray it with that awesome like hose that was like above you with the great handle you know, you just spray it down and you just put it to the side and it dries. I never cleaned them the way they're supposed to be cleaned properly. And the man, the owner came in once and saw me do that. And he was like, you know, you're supposed to be doing this, that, and the other. I'm like, oh, he's like, what do you do at home? Do you just rinse off your dishes with no, you don't scrub them with salt? I was like, oh. Is it a regulation at that point? Or is that just a preference? I don't know. I've That's never. That's probably a health thing. Like I've, I'm s- <laughs> I've never worked in a restaurant. Oh, okay. I that was one thing I avoided my whole life. I zero desire to serve anyone. I no, no. I you want to say I'm better than that? Yeah. I think I felt as though I was above serving people. No, you with your personality, you should not be serving people. But I also don't like people serving me. Oh, okay. I I just don't the whole thing is uncomfortable to me. Yeah, yeah. At a restaurant, I thank the waiter profusely right. for everything because I can't stand 
and someone is in a situation by choice. It's their choice. I get it. But they're yeah. serving me as if I'm some highfalutin piece of like shit king. who has better status in life. If I would go to the window myself. I mean, I guess you go to the restaurant. I don't know how to cook that part. Fine. Someone's cooking. But that's like a skill. I'm not saying that serving's not a skill. I know it is. But it's like I feel like there's a now now I know there's someone who's actually the best <laughs> waiter in the world who's like, this is a real skill and I've refined this craft and you're insulting me. And that's not my intention. I just feel as though people working in kitchens maybe quite often have a little more pride in their work than servers because servers are holdover job for most people unless you can get in some really fancy restaurant where you make $180,000 a year yeah 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 I mean that's a different thing yeah you're just a butler in a food service place at that point (laughs) which again who has a butler oh can you imagine no do people really have butlers anymore like the uber rich they're assistants and things there's no longer and that you know like there's someone in charge of the house that I guess would have previously been called a butler but now they're just like the house manager. Yeah, the job remains the same. That's yeah. the, you can change the name all you want. Yeah. But anyway, I I have you know, zero intent of insulting anyone if, if someone's a server and that is their job. I don't look down on that like a career that they've decided because certainly you can get in situations where that is viable and you mm-hmm. live a very nice life. Um, I'm not looking down on the job. I just was not a person who could handle serving anyone. So I have when you talk about kitchens... I know there's a lot of regulations. I don't mm-hmm. know what any of them are. I'm sure that if some health inspector saw that I was just rinsing constantly <laughs> these dishes. But it goes back into the hot oven. All right. It's a pan. It's got some grease on it. You rinse it off and then it goes back in the hot That's oven. That's true. And if anything's on it, it gets cooked and killed. Yeah, I agree. People aren't eating off of it. Dish is one thing. Silverware. It's going in your mouth. And we, there were no silverware because it was just a little, little Caesars. It did help me learn how to spell Caesar. <laughs> you know, my instinct is to C-E-A, but it's S-A-E, or C-E-A. S-A-E. C- did it? C-A-E. Did it, Sorry. Did it really help you? Now you're, what are you going to look it up? No, I just was looking up the next. To double check? No, the, the, the next job I had, though, was another. Was, well, how was, did this one end? How long did you work there and how did it end? And what did you learn from it? What did you take from it? Nothing. I took nothing from it. How long did you work there? I don't remember. Uh, I mean, for me, I agree with you. I didn't take anything from no. Publix other than I don't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. And that was a service job. You're it was. People's, it's not the same, but and that was a service job. My next job actually was a service job, but we'll get into that. It's so, the closest I got to a service job. So I have my next job as folks, right? Which is now... Is it still called Folks? No, it used to be called Po Folks. It was Po, yeah. And I think I worked at Po Folks. Yeah, and that was offensive. Yeah. For poor people. Yeah, Po Folks. Yeah, and, and also African Americans, I assume. I guess. I mean, it's a well, lot it's a, of African Americans went there. So <laughs> I don't know if anybody, if they were insulted. Yeah, I don't know the story behind the naming in that restaurant. Yeah. I'm sure there's a decent reason they got rid of the Po. So yeah, I don't remember if I worked there next or... If it was the wallpaper store, but the th- the thing that I took away from working at folks was how bad I was at being a server at that time. God, I was just the worst. Like I could barely handle a section with four tables. You know, I could, I just couldn't. And then I couldn't multitask. I didn't know how to, 
you know, um, yeah, multitask, which really is what a ton of waitressing or serving is, is just being able to prioritize all these balls in the air and remember all the balls in the air and, you know, deal and like roll with the punches, deal with things. You know, I just, I was incapable at that time of, of doing that. And that one ended because I started the job. I probably worked there. It was like the two week training or maybe the week training. And then I, uh, the one week training. And then, um, once I started, I sucked and I hated it. And then, um, I didn't realize that I had started working there right before Christmas and that when I looked at the schedule, I was all over because I was new. So I was all, and so all the other people had already requested off and gotten that time off. And I was scheduled all through the Christmas holidays. And I was like, oh, I can't work that. I will be out of town for Christmas. (laughs) And they were upset with me, but I was like, too bad. I can't do it. And then um, during the the Christmas that I said I couldn't work, I went to a Waffle House and one of the cooks at Folks also worked at Waffle House and he saw me and he told on me and they fired me. He narked you out probably yeah. and rightly so. Oh yeah. I was like, cool. <laughs> How old I were you it. at this point? I still was, I was probably 16 because I think I was driving there by myself because I remember my mom wake, waiting up for me to come home. Yeah, again, the offense taken when you're scheduled on the holidays at that age, I guess because it ties into school. You're like, no, I'm out of school. Yeah, I never even thought that it would be open or that I would have to work on Christmas, you know, Eve, the, the day before Christmas Eve. Like, I just, I, it never occurred to me. I, um, what was I going to say about the guy who narked you out? <laughs> I don't remember. Nah, anyway. It was fine. I shouldn't have been working there. <laughs> It was weird too, you know, like all the other people, of course, were like kids, all the waiters, and they smoked like in sort of one of those banquet rooms in the back, you know, where people could go and get like a private room for birthdays or something. Everybody smoked back there, and I thought, this is gross. And there was a smoking section still. It was what, a, weird. what a place to have a birthday, folks. Yeah. Any unlimited, maybe, maybe someone bring their Nana there, you know? Unlimited <laughs> baskets of cornbread for anyone's birthday. Mm hmm. A basket of chicken fried steak. Yeah. They had fried catfish there. Mm-hmm. That place really was Southern. They really leaned into it, didn't mm-hmm. they? They had collards. I'd never have been in a folks. Oh, yeah. It's not great. I mean, whatever. It's just food that's fried and probably decently tasty, but probably that corn on the cob that's like real short, you know, those real short ones. And the corn is like kind of dehydrated looking. It's like been boiled too long or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It gets withered. Withered. Yeah, withered kernels. <laughs> so that only lasted. Oh, that lasted probably like two, like, less than a month. This is part of those jobs. though. again, you're hiring young kids. They are going to quit constantly. I would hate to manage a place where you're hiring kids because you know yeah. that you're going to have headaches. You're going to have schedules that fall apart mm-hmm. because nobody is reliable. I broke up with my boyfriend and I can't come into work today. Which is a very real thing at that point. Like My view on jobs has changed over the years in the sense that, you know, if you're hired to do a job, do the job as best as you can. But when you're that age, it's an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. It's like, I have to do this. And then you have friends who, you know, don't have to work because their parents are spoiling them. And even if it's better at the time that your parents are forcing you to work. Oh, I know. I, were, were your parents forcing you to work? Uh, I mean, I don't think they were forcing me. 
but I was in a spot where I wanted some money to do mm. things and they weren't just handing me money. And I wasn't doing chores around the house, even if that was a way to get money, which it was never offered. But you get an allowance. No, mm. I think at some point there was an attempt. It's like, make your bed, clean your. I just didn't do it. Right. So no allowance. It's also like five bucks for the week. It's like, it's not worth it. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'll go make the five dollars in an hour. That's 20 bucks a month. At Publix <laughs> or the my next job. I think I I I'm, I forgot about PacSun, and I don't know how I forgot about Pacific somewhere, since that was my second job. Oh, that was only your second job. My second official job. Yeah. The Pacific Sunwear. What you have a like, you have a list of my jobs, which yeah. is strange to me. For I knew it's 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 listed that way as Publix and then PacSun, but for some reason I thought I don't know like valet was in there before. No, that's the next. That's job. the next one. That's the one when I was a valet. It was the one where I was. I mentioned earlier that yeah, it was a service job, also parking people's cars. But Pack Sun, and we've talked about this story before, so I won't get too into it. But I, I wanted to do retail. It seemed easier. Mm-hmm. I liked being a cashier. I liked doing stock. I hated being on the floor. Yeah. Oh, I see you checking out these pants. Well, here's a shirt that possibly can Ugh. I can I help you? Can I create and curate some outfits for you? No, no, Ew. leave me alone. No, there's no commission either, which commission's worse because then it really forces people to do it. When someone tells you no in a situation like that, you're like, okay. Then yeah. you then you can tell your boss that you asked and they said no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was called to attention quite a bit. It's like I see you on the floor. And you're not going up to the customers. Ugh, customers don't want that. If they're looking, if they're holding something and they're like looking around, then it's like, hey, you looking for anything? Can I help you? They'll come ask exactly. for the most part if they need something. Yeah, but you can tell when people like their heads down, they're searching through clothes. They're not looking around looking for help. Leave them alone. Shoes was the thing, obviously. Hey. Oh, you have to get their shoes. I have to go to the back and get the shoes. That's fine. They ask if they want shoes. If they were in this shoe section, I feel as though I would. Oh, you want those etnies, huh? Those DC shoes. Mm -hmm. Do you skateboard? No. Yeah, neither do I. We're all posers. (laughs) I also enjoyed, do you have other sizes in the back? No. Maybe some stores keep additional stock, Mm -hmm. but quite often people, I like this shirt, but I can't find my size. Do you have more in the back? No, we don't. We actually didn't. That wasn't a lie. Yeah. Like, no, I stole all these. I stole all those sizes. Yeah. So that's, (laughs) as I've stated before, how that job ended. Right. Being caught stealing. Ugh, what a horrible feeling. I mean, what a horrible thing to do. <laughs> but also. Again, a fuckhead kid. Me. The yeah. whole store was fuckhead kids. Yeah. That our manager, who was really cool. And again, she seemed so old and she probably was 25. But when I'm 17. Sure. I mean, yeah, the difference is. In my mind. That's huge. In my mind, when I'm 17, it's like when I'm 25, I'm going to be working my full time job. I'll be in my career. What the hell are you doing? Mm hmm. And despite that, she was great. And we really just betrayed her. We stabbed her in the back. Like there were other, there were other managers. She was the store manager. You always have the one manager who's around that same age, 25, but I'm the manager who doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Fuck this job. Fuck it all. That's not cool either. No. Especially if you like, you need something and they just don't give a shit. Yeah. Being 17, I thought that was cool. Yeah. This guy's attitude. I like this. But you come to realize like, hey, you know, you don't like this, then leave. You don't have to be here doing this job that you hate so much. Um, but, yeah, the whole store was stealing. 
There were no cameras. You don't have cameras. Mm-hmm. People are going to do the things that they do. Take off the security tags because people are wearing big baggy pants in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hide things in those pants. <laughs> those are my stealing pants. You can take a split long sleeve t-shirt. It's a brand. Split in case oh, you didn't Oh, yeah, know. yeah. Oh, spl- okay. And you can fold it and run it down your leg and cinch it with your belt so it stays up. Wow. And then you just walk out of the store with it. Until the idiot who really wants to blow up everyone's spot starts stealing money from the cash register. Yeah, that's over the line. Because you find out immediately. Mm -hmm. They do inventory a few times a year. And then they're like, hey, we've got a lot of loss here. Cash register, end of the day, you know. Yeah. Well, even a lot of loss here can be, um, I mean, they account for shrinkage with every inventory. Which shrinkage is when people, like, it's, it's the allotment that they budget for stealing. Which I guess was happening. I wonder how much was stolen under my watch. Mm. Uh, one time I was working the register. This is a different thing. But I was just thinking of where my head was. And usually I would talk to people and say, hey, how's it going? But there was this dad in there with his daughter. And uh, I didn't greet them, I guess, when they came up. Or at least I didn't do it in a way that he liked. The, the father? Yeah. And he okay. called me out. He's like, oh, people don't say hi anymore. And I pretended I was deaf. <gasps> yeah, I'm not going to do the voice that I did. Oh, you did the voice? Yeah. And what did they say back? I don't know. I don't remember. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I pretended I was deaf once. Not to get out of trouble, but uh, I was just in a doctor's office and with my mom, and we were waiting forever for something. And so I went to the... I was like just walking around the halls of this weird doctor's office, and... There was a guy walking towards me and I just pretended to sign to him. And I said, I used a weird deaf voice, asked him about like, have you seen my mom? (laughs) For what other reason than attention? I don't know. You know, playing with the world. (laughs) Really is your stage. (laughs) So Pacific Sunwear ended on a bad note. Went in one day. Uh, Regional manager was there. Mm Mm-mm. Uh, come to the back. I got a call for you to take loss prevention, dude. Threatening to press charges against me. I was 17 at this point. Uh-huh. So, you know, they could have pressed charges. Even if I weren't a minor, I don't know if they would have pressed charges. They're obviously just trying to get info. And Did uh, they think you were stealing money? No, they know. They, they figured out the guy was stealing money. Okay. I think it's easy to pinpoint the shifts. It's like, okay, we lost money on this day, this day, this day. Let's right. look at the schedules. Where's the common thread? So what about, how did they know that you were stealing? Cl- like, why didn't they just say, oh, the money's being stolen and that's the end of it? How'd they figure out the Because everyone thing? in the store was doing it. And I think oh. he got caught. Oh, and he ratted you out. Well, he narked out this other girl and then she ratted me out. Oh, that bitch. And the <laughs> corruption that was deep-seated uh-huh. came to light. Mm-hmm. And they really didn't have any proof on me. I, I don't wonder think. if she didn't rat you out and they did that interrogation tactic. Yeah, they could have. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Vanessa you, said Vanessa's told us everything. Greg, just tell us the truth. Now. Even if she had ratted me out, they didn't have actual proof. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I admitted that I stole that split shirt mm-hmm. and some necklaces, even though it was necklaces. much more than that. And then they said, well, you need to bring that back. And I brought back a shirt that had been washed. At least 30 times, probably. Here you go. 
here are these necklaces. And then, you know, you don't work anymore and your parents ask you why you're not going to work. And you say, I just am getting busy with the soccer and school. And then your mom goes into the store uh, to say hi because she knows, you know, the manager. Uh-huh. <laughs> your last paycheck's mailed to you. Did the manager say anything to, you, to her? I, I, did, did, did your mom find out outside of you? I th- I don't know if she told her straight up, but uh-huh. she's like, oh, he hasn't told you anything, huh? So <gasps> Ooh. I, I I had to admit it, and I wasn't proud of it, and it was very embarrassing. Were you in trouble? Did you get, like, grounded? I didn't get grounded, but it's not like it was, I got off scot-free. It's like, yeah, at that point, there's whatever parenting needs to be done. It's like, in those situations, I quite often already knew what I did, and I did feel like shit. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, in the moment, I wasn't thinking... Again, I'm just a fucking 17-year-old, yeah. and I'm not thinking about how it affects other people. Mm-hmm. And my store manager, once like she cried and said, I could imagine other people doing this, but you, why did you do this? And I wrote her a letter and dropped it off, apologizing. But you know, in those moments, what things that should have been pretty clear mm-hmm. took an extreme action to then become clear. But you know, my parents, again, it's not like, whatever, don't do that again. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't any, you can't go out, you can't do this, so. Mm. Out of uh, ground, did you? Yeah, that was the end of that one. Like we're taking away your phone. And then I, then I moved on to be the valet, parking people's cars in Atlanta. This is me then going to Georgia State University, so now I'm now in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, the valet company was owned by a neighbor in our neighborhood that my parents were friends with growing up, so now suddenly I'm wrapped up in that kind of web. It's like, oh, he's going to give you a job. You're down in the city now and you can park cars. And the truth is I liked it for a little bit. It seemed like you liked it. That's when I met you. You drive other people's cars. And some people had really fancy cars. And like, I would have never driven this kind of car otherwise, even if it's just in a parking lot. How do valet parkers park in those really tight parking lots where it's like you double park everybody and then the person comes out? How do you get the cars out? Uh, It depends on how controlled the parking lot is Uh if there's one entrance and one exit and you can keep an eye on that you really would keep the cars that are blocking in other cars you keep the key on top of the tire so you could quickly move that one oh okay but if it has multiple exits and entrances you don't want to do that because then someone could easily steal it which did happen once at a restaurant really on easter and it got really busy and it wasn't because we kept keys on the tires but when a line of cars comes in sometimes you just have to get the car pull it up run out ticket the next person then you catch up and at some point Wow, guy, really? Someone stole an SUV. Wow. Yeah, and we didn't know until the person came out. We couldn't find their oh car. Oh, my God. What a scary feeling. Yeah, at that point, it's the lot manager's problem. And, you know, he was 24. <laughs> and he had to call the owner. Mm-hmm. They have insurance for that kind of thing. But of course. The but person who owns the car is not happy. No, and it, was, it wasn't like, well, we'll call you an Uber home. <laughs> yeah. Good I, luck getting home. It is interesting in mm-hmm. 2000 how that was handled and also you know i just kept working i was like i'm not getting involved in that i'm going to avoid that but that was around the same time i was also interning at the radio station at 96 rock and that started to interest me more so i stopped again i did the job i enjoyed the job but i when i was done with it instead of just quitting like i should have or giving someone notice or being respectable and respectful I just wouldn't show up to shifts. I just kind of phased out and disappeared. Wow. Yeah, that's shitty. And again, it's, you know, someone who's a friend of the family and then my parents are asking questions and it's like, why don't you just quit? Yeah. I mean, 
it's hard for you to tell someone something that you feel like will disappoint them. So you just don't tell them. Yeah, I'm just going to avoid this. Mm-hmm. Also, a few things in that job. I've mentioned this before, but one time a car pulled in, rolled down the window and said, fuck you, not valet parking. And then I went to their car and took my styrofoam cup and broke it up into a bunch of little pieces and shoved it into their gas oh, tank. And what's that do? Yeah, you ever put styrofoam into gasoline? You no, can make a it is expand. You can make like a cheap. It turns into a gel. Oh, you can make a cheap napalm with it. <laughs> but it, in my mind, it clogged up their fuel injector. So hopefully fucked their car. Wow. All they had to say was, I don't want to do this. Do I have to? It was a slow night. I would have said yes. Yeah, the go fuck ahead. You, the yeah. fuck you. And then someone else did something similar, but also said, I'm just parking here in the front and you can't stop me. And in the key safe, uh, there were hooks with screws on them and there were some extras. And I put a bunch of those <gasps> under the tire. Oh, so when they backed out? So when they, yeah, when they drove away, they got a bunch of screws in their tires. Well, they kind of deserve it. Maybe not the person with the fuel injector thing. Like, that's not cool. But the person's like, I'm just going to do this in your face. I'm going to park right here up in the front. All I wanted was someone to treat me yeah, with some kind of respect. Ask a question. Don't, yeah. I don't Can curse I park me over out. here? Yeah, it's like, do I really have to valet park? I don't really want to. Sometimes you, you would have to say, no, sorry, because if it is a busy lot, there is yeah. a system in place. And one car like that can throw off that system. And you could explain that. Yeah, but if it's a slow night, then... And, and it, how could someone argue with that? You're like, oh, okay, I get it. You have a system. And quite often, this was complimentary. It wasn't forcing... Like, they oh, would yeah. have to tip if they... They didn't have to tip. They could tip if they wanted. But, yeah, that I think about when you worked in restaurants. Did you ever spit in people's food? I don't know how Never. you would do it. I don't know how I would have fucked with people's food. If they were nasty to me, I would have done gross things. I... um would just do kind of passive aggressive things with people that were jerks, you know, um, if they were jerks and they were ordering drinks that were like a Shirley temple or something. Um, normally if they were just a normal table or a really great table, I wouldn't charge them for refills of, of something like that. But then if they were dicks, I'd be like, Oh, you had three Shirley temples. That's a Sprite, a Sprite and a Sprite. So, (laughs) um, or, I would purposefully like not refill their bread, you know, like let things run out that I would, I'd just be less attentive to them and maybe they would didn't even notice, but I didn't have a lot of those tables. Like I had a lot of people or like a lot of other servers around me that would complain about their tables and how annoyed they were with them. But, um, honestly, this is real braggy, but I didn't have a lot of that because I was really good at, okay, so when I said, you know, I worked at folks, I was horrible. And then one day, many, many jobs later, you know, I'm working at Mellow Mushroom. <laughs> what is this list of jobs? It's so long. I don't it's think so we can, I don't think we can run through. No, all of I'm not jobs. going to, but um, way down the list. <laughs> so there's the wall. Okay, so after folks is wallpaper your world, which is one of my favorite jobs. Well, that's uh, just quickly on that. That's uh-huh. it's like an interesting place to work, a wallpaper store. It's yeah. not, it's a little out of the ordinary. It's not a place where most people probably would go look for a job. And uh, I just think wallpaper in itself can be cool, looking at all the different designs. Yeah. Um and there were there's also I didn't know this at the time until I worked there, but there's um you know, big books of wallpaper samples from different companies and it, within the books they have you know, big pages of what the wallpaper looks like. But then they also have like pictures of 
how they've put the wallpaper together in a room, blah, blah, just like at a paint store or something like oh, Home Depot, you know, next to all the paint, there's all those pamphlets. Anyway, um, but I was working there and I got so used to the different products and stuff like I was able to someone would um, move into a house and um, the part of, you know, the border that was in their kitchen were in the house that they moved into was falling down or was in disrepair or something. And then they went up in the attic and they found like one roll of the border and they would come in with that and say like, I really like this, but there's no label. You know, it's like a third, uh, you know, halfway used or whatever. And I would be able to look at it and say, you know, that looks a lot like, you know, Waverly something or other. So I'd take them where the, all right, we had this like library of books and I'd take a few out and I'd find their wallpaper. And it was usually like the updated version of it. So it'd be a little bit different, but it would be close enough where they could like patch something or, um, I don't know. It's just like, that was my first job where I knew all the products and I was able to help people figure out how many rolls of pa- of wallpaper they would need based on their measurements and stuff. And I would do these orders. I don't know. I was really into it. It's really a more specialized that. skill at that point. So yeah. you're able to take more ownership of it. And that's when I started to realize. How'd that, that one end though? Oh, I put in two weeks notice. Okay, see. Yeah. Um, To work at Kroger. Blech. <laughs> Why, Why? Did I do that? I don't know. I don't know what my thinking was. What'd you do at Kroger? Cashier? Cashier. I also liked that. I was tired of the old men being like, Autumn, that's a nice name. You have a sister spring? Like, mm-hmm. Yep. Nope, I don't. It's funny. But I did a lot of fake, like, <laughs> I know, right? But I loved being the cashier. I loved putting in the things, like, for the produce. And I liked the beep, the scanning. Um... I still feel cool at the self-checkouts. Me too. Putting in the produce code. 4011. Or sometimes changing the produce code for a cheaper apple. Whoopsie. I want the Honeycrisp, but that's two something a pound. And this Red Delicious <laughs> is only a dollar a pound. I'll just memorize that Red Delicious code and put mm-hmm. that in. We sell a lot of Red Delicious. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I worked at Wallpaper Your World, Kroger, Fazoli's, which See. was another like Italian, fast food Italian. Um, a carpet cleaning call center, which was just a shit show. It was full of children and we all smoked in there. It was weird. I love how smoking is prominent in your life (laughs) and your memory of jobs that you had. And that's, yeah, the people smoked and they were cool. It was weird. It was like a seventies office in there because people were like kids were smoking. And you know, there were all these like bonuses and you know like um what's it called a uh like a minimum amount of something you're supposed to make sales goals and stuff Oof, I, it was bad. so what were you cold calling yes. trying to get people to clean their car yeah, yeah like we have specials on whatever and you have to say a script it was the worst i don't know how people deal with those jobs non-stop rejection and again, I'm sure there's high turnover. And then every once in a while, you get the person who's good at it, who really takes to it, mm-hmm. and then it boosts their self-confidence. So they're the model, but they're also the exception. And the people who manage those places have no clue, thinking yeah, that person is an anomaly. That's a strange, weird person. Most people aren't going to take to it like this. Most people get rejected a few times and their mm-hmm. spirit is crushed. None of us cared. Well, we was, were all just like having fun. Again, there's that too. And we would, we would sing... Um, Oh, 
we would sing a like someone would say late night come home and we'd all go work sucks i know blink 182 uh-huh we cool. all thought that was so with fun. your cigarettes uh, yeah <laughs> and my um my i came home once and i was stinking like cigarettes and i told them i was like yeah they're allowed they smoke in there and they're like ew i was like yeah i know but i was smoking too yeah, the lies that you tell when I was smoking cigarettes and I would smell like it. My car mm-hmm. would smell like it. Mm-hmm. My parents, no, it's just my friends. They smoke. Don't let them smoke in your car. Ah, it's okay. That Let's was see. me. Yeah. Again, my parents had to have known. Or maybe they just they didn't. They want to believe you. Okay, so but after that, um, I worked. Okay, so then I worked at a law firm. I was in the mailroom. We did a lot of boring shit like filing. But then at the end, uh, near the like throughout the day, but mostly the time crunch was at the end of the day. All of these um, packets of legal information, disclosures, evidence, photocopies of, you know, writs and paper and letters and all of this stuff had to go out um, before seven uh, because that was the last UPS pickup. And so the lawyers, because they don't give a shit about how much time it takes to actually get these things, these packets put together. They would wait until the last minute until they, whatever, and they would give it to me. So um, my the person who was I was working with, who, who eventually left and then it was just me, she taught me how to like organize and, and um, uh, prioritize, prioritize in my brain. She helped me learn how to multitask because you had... You know, while the copier is going and getting you had to you had to look at the letter and know how many copies of whatever had to be sent to this many people. And then what who got the evidence and who didn't and then who did it. And you had to while the copiers go and making all these copies, you had to. It was I felt like an octopus, like in a cartoon, like with all their like an octopus bartender. That's what I felt like with this big table in front of me, papers stacked up, knowing what I'm doing. Like I felt so awesome and efficient in that role and that was the first time where I was like oh I can be really good at something and I'm really good at now all of a sudden I'm someone has taught me how to multitask and prioritize and that really has carried over into my waitressing stuff and that really helps and that's all it takes sometimes even if it's the job it's a job you don't want to stay in if you can get some kind of satisfaction confidence Mm -hmm. out of it I'm good at this. Then, you know, that can carry you for a bit. Um, You know, again, with my job history, valet, now we're moving into my career, even though I'm working at 96 Rock for Clear Channel in Atlanta. Yeah, I just I'm laughing because I'm looking at my list and my career doesn't happen for like, I don't know, 10 more jobs. (laughs) You really do have so many jobs. I know. And anyway. Go ahead. I am working in promotions. I'm interning for the morning show on 96 Rock, but I'm also working in promotions. And that in itself is not the path I want to go into radio, but I'm now in the radio station. I have keys to a radio station, and this is what I wanted to do, and this is great. And I actually am working hard, and I care, and it, you know, people are noticing, like, that kid is doing a good job. Um, you know, and then it lasts for a little bit because then you're so close to the thing you want to be doing, which is get on the air. But you're not there. You're driving the truck and hanging banners. <laughs> and it's like, so that carries you for a few months. And I started to become unsettled. But luckily, you know, the way Clear Channel worked is they launched that 96.7 The Buzz. 
which was just a small alternative station on a weak signal to try to take 99X's ratings away, which is the big alternative station in Atlanta to make their classic rock station, 96 Rock, look better in the ratings. Mm-hmm. And because they didn't want to spend any money on that, they just threw all, all of us kids on the air. So it's like right place, right time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think in a career, that's definitely what needs to happen. So if that hadn't happened, I don't know you know, what I would have done. Yeah. Because I was getting to the point where I was getting a little fed up. And I'm not saying I was like the right. the bridge to... To, to where you are now. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that I was right in that. Like, you do need to put in work, and I think, you know, paying some sort of dues is fine. Uh, but I certainly would have become disgruntled. So anyway, I'm doing that. I'm also doing other side jobs at the station to make money because they're not really paying us to do the buzz on air. Yeah, I think we would only get voice tracking time, right? However long it took us to voice track, which, which was, was like, like pre recorded. Yeah. <laughs> but if you had like a three hour shift, which and again, you were making $7 an hour. Yeah. It was still low pay. Yeah. It would be like, okay, you can only get the money for the actual work you put in instead of but you, the but, shift you have. Yeah. But it's also, I'm excited to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing that, but I'm also running the board for other broadcasts on 96 Rock, which that's moved out of promotions. I'm now in programming and in a studio. Uh, that's fine. But you know, as I move into figuring out what the hell I'm doing on the air and getting more comfortable with that and trying to put together a style and meeting resistance and suddenly you have this job and there's this whole part of it you never thought about that there's management at the top who just doesn't want to deal with your creative vision and they just want to be left alone and have their lives as easy as possible. So they just tell you not to do things. Hmm. Like, don't do that. Don't, don't, just don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do this. Just introduce that song. It's like, I don't want to introduce the song. The song sucks. All this music <laughs> sucks. It all stinks. It's like, I want to put on a show. That's the point of this. And, you know, then there's resistance there. And uh, as you're running the board, meaning me, and then there's a meeting one day uh, where they say, Greg Russ is the best board op we have. And then you say, I've been doing this on air stuff for a year and you've taken zero notice and you're not commenting on that. I'm done. And then that's at that point when I, you know, reached out to 99 X and sent them my air check and, uh, ended up getting hired there and taking a step, which that's good. That, I mean, a lot of that, uh, struggle pushed you to further yourself. Yeah, and I look at that and I think that's the way to do it. People aren't going to be happy in their jobs necessarily all the mm-hmm. time, but it's like, all right, I'm, keep, I'm still going to keep doing this job. Now I'm in my career. If I really, even though there were times I ran my mouth way too much and I was a shit and probably wrong quite often and management's <laughs> like, who does this kid think he is? But it's like, I never pushed it too far because like, well, if I ruin this, then yeah. it's not a good place to be. Um so continuing to do the job until they said something, I was like, all right, you view me like this. This is how I'm always going to be viewed here. It's time to move on. Right. And I think that's what you need to do is make those decisions. So I go to 99X, I get hired, I do the night shift and it's fine for a little bit. All that. No, don't do that. As I've mentioned before, Leslie Fram was my boss. I loved her because she never said that. She would say, I see what you're doing. Here's how to make it better. That's great. I'm in a great spot. This is all I could ever ask for. And then, you know, the station sold to Cumulus Media, who has their corporate headquarters in Atlanta. And then Leslie loses power. She's still program director, but she's got people above her now. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, putting putting the brakes on the stuff I'm doing and I'm being told again. And it's at that point I just I rebel. It's like it's it's not about just being on the air, just doing a radio right. shift. Yeah. 
It's like, I want to do this. This is a creative endeavor. You want to stand behind what you're putting out there. And I did. And I did what I wanted to do until I was taken off the air. And I know that we talk about this and we have many times how I was taken off the air, their words for being too creative. <laughs> I'm not lying about that. I know. It's weird. I'm still bitter about it. Maybe I shouldn't be. But it's like it's, it goes goes against everything I believe in. And, and I feel as though I would believe in if I were in the position of management. I'd say, yeah, let's make good radio here so we can all benefit. Yeah, and this person is enthusiastic and coming up with things. Like like you said with Leslie, you know, she helped guide that instead of saying like, nope, it's just, nope, no, it's just no. <laughs> yeah, so while I still hold on to these feelings with that, I, I'm not regretful. I don't regret any way that went down. But, you know, as I look back on the jobs before that I sucked at because I just didn't give a shit, I did care about this and I stuck by what I cared about. Uh, with with the you know idea of how I wanted to execute a radio show. Mm-hmm. And I did it. And someone else made the decision. And I they were in a spot to make the decision. I don't agree with that decision. I still think it was dumb. But I don't regret it. And from there, I moved to New York. You know, it, it opened a door, though. Because it was going to be hard for me to give up that radio shift at 99X, which actually the truth is they flipped it a few months after I moved, so I probably would have lost that job anyway. <laughs> they flipped the format. Uh-huh. But, you know, it opened the door. I got to New York. I got hired in New York at a rock station that had just flipped by the program director there who didn't know me. He had no clue who I was. I sent him an air check. He liked it. I met with him. He wanted that kind of stuff on the air. Then he was fired. But then they brought Leslie Fram in. But then Leslie in that position didn't seemingly have as much power. And there was a vision for the station, which was like very music oriented, Mm -hmm. which, you know, look, the job is what it is. It's a music oriented station. I want to fight against that as much as I can. But they made their mission clear and it's not wrong that that's what they wanted to do. It probably just wasn't a good fit. And I was only on the air on the weekends there anyway. There was an idea, I think, at first to either have me or my friend Dave do nights. We were going to compete against each other. <laughs> but then, you know, before Leslie came in, there was an interim guy. And he's like, I don't really care. And I don't really like what those two do. So I'll make a decision. And uh, we're going to give it to this other guy. Ugh. Who, fine. I'm doing weekends in New York City. It's not. It's, it's still yeah. a cool thing. Yeah. My voice is coming from the top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> and... uh that's cool. You know, but I I I didn't even try to do the show I wanted to do at that point. I was just kind of resigned and I just did this radio shift, which is not the right way to go about it. So, you know, now you're in a spot with your career like, well, this is a good job. This is a job that people strive for. Mm-hmm. Being on the air in New York in any capacity is a big thing. And here I am. I can't just give this up. Even though the truth is I should have just given it up. It's not what the kind of radio I wanted to do. And then I was also working at the station that first I was a promotions coordinator. I hated it. I don't want to coordinate promotions. Again, we're back at promotions. That's how I started in radio. That's the way I viewed it. Now, Uh how did I get here? It also paid $28,000 a year for this full-time job. I was able to double that because the on-air shifts were union. Oh, nice. Uh, But it's like, this is not. So I sucked at it. And I would fight with my boss and yell at her because she would yell at me. She would yell at me first and I would yell back at her. What kind of yelling? Well, I mean, most of the time she would get nasty and I wouldn't say anything until one day she pushed me too far. And I forget what I said. Wow. 
And uh, then I went to see Neil deGrasse Tyson speak before he was a big asshole. <laughs> and I just left work and didn't tell anyone. And I got off the train at the Natural History Museum. And I had a text. You left. You didn't tell me. This is unacceptable. And I said, I'm going to see Neil deGrasse Tyson speak. Quite frankly, it's more important than this job. And so I went home and I typed up my resignation. The audacity, though, was like, I'm quitting. But I'm going to definitely be keeping that weekend air shift. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I did. And then I somehow turned this into another job in the <laughs> web department. Uh-huh. Um, so I quit. I was an asshole. But I also created a new position of my, for myself making videos, like documenting interviews and performances that would happen at the station, which then helped me, you know, hone some skills, which became the second part of my wow. career. Um, and then that station went away. And then I worked at Gary Knowles. We'll just kind of blow through that one because that guy was a quack doctor who believes coffee enemas cure cancer and that AIDS is not caused by HIV, that HIV is a creation of pharmaceutical companies oh. to make a lot of money. And oh, no. He was doing documentaries <laughs> and he had an internet radio station and it was a holdover. It paid all right. Uh, I was embarrassed by it. It's not on my resume. Oh, it's not? No. That's smart. It's not on my resume. Yeah. That does not exist. The few things I got credits in, his documentaries, I used a fake name, Jake Mesmeyer. <laughs> it was an opportunity, again, to hone some mm -hmm. more video skills. But... Oh, it's all an opportunity to grow, all of it. Yeah, and then there was this whole scandal there where some microphones were stolen and they blamed me for stealing <gasps> them, even though I had video evidence of me not stealing them. Uh -huh. But I was, I went into a box. But you were they... wearing biggie, baggy pants. Well, and... this is the thing. I felt guilty because at some point in my life I did steal, but it's like, yeah. I didn't steal this time. Right. But you feel like you're lying. Yeah. And like, I'm getting nervous when they're questioning me, even though I didn't do anything. I know. But I, I who knows how I came off, but like there, they had, that guy had security cameras everywhere. And there was like, I went into this box that had those microphones because I was looking for some equipment to help mm -hmm. another show out. And then before I left, like I held my bag open up to a camera just in case somebody. Oh, really? Yeah. But still like, well, you didn't steal it then. But at some point you did. Oh, and it was probably this other guy who's now in jail for selling meth who was working there. I guarantee it was him. Of but, course. But anyway, I got fired. I didn't care at that point. I'd already been introduced to someone else who was working at Sanborn, which is where. I eventually worked full time for a few years, but I said, no, I'm going to freelance. I'm going to find my own way for mm -hmm. a bit. And uh, that didn't go so well. I blew through $22,000 in savings and was down to like $800 freelancing because I wasn't putting in enough work. And obviously yeah. I needed some kind of structure. And uh, at that point, I was asked to work full time at Sanborn as a producer for, you know, branded content, video shoots, commercials shit like that brands want to do a commercial but it's not a straight up commercial right yeah um, like a tricky commercial where yeah. you don't realize you're watching a commercial at first everyone knows but yeah. yes <laughs> i mean at the time maybe you were still able to trick some people uh -huh. and that was fine i hated producing but you know that's when i kind of moved into my new mindset it's like all right look this is a professional job i'm a professional i only have to like this as much as i need to do a good job because a lot of people in those positions pretend that they're making these Oscar-worthy oh, yeah. films and you deal with clients and these lackey employees who the brand is the most important, the brand, oh, the brand and our image. And it's like, shut the fuck up. You don't care. I, I've had this reaction before when we talked about commercialism, so I don't need to go deep into it. But I was like, just say this is my job. My job is to look out for the brand. Mm -hmm. I will do that. It doesn't need to become your life. 
Right. You don't have to try and trick me into believing that you love this thing. I think they're tricking themselves into believing that. Maybe. Maybe it's the only way they can uh, really protect the brand. Well, because there's this idea that your career is who you are. Mm -hmm. And I battled with that for a while, especially in radio. And if you're lucky enough to have a career that you love, it can. I still don't think it should become your identity. There are many other parts of life. But it can become a larger part of your identity. Yeah. But most people end up in careers that aren't what they thought they were going to be doing. You know, I'm in a spot now where now I work for, you know, I don't talk about it a lot. And it's no reason. I don't think I say anything nasty on this show. But, you know, I work for Group 9 Media and they own the Dodo.com and now this news and Thrillist and, you know, websites that people go to. Yeah. Yeah. I love all those things. (laughs) People go to these websites and there's video content and... In a weird way, I'm more detached and okay with it because I think that there are people who wanted to be filmmakers mm. who found themselves in this and it's not their expectation. To me, it's like I never thought about making films or doing video and I have a job at this company and now it's the same thing. It's like I care about this as much as I need to care about it, meaning you pay me and I feel fairly compensated and I will do a good job. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that because my identity isn't wrapped up in it. And also the job itself where now I'm a, a supervisor, which is something I thought I never would want to do. It's like, I don't want to manage people. I want to be left alone. Like, you know, when I went in, I was an editor and I like editing video because you're, it's one task and you're left alone for the most part until you deliver a cut. Then people give their feedback and I would get angry. <laughs> it's like, this is great as it is. Your feedback's dumb in yeah. my mind. Yeah, yeah. But I was able to just put that aside. It's like, okay. <laughs> okay. Because again, it. again, it doesn't really matter that much. Right. Okay. Well, maybe that's healthy. That's a healthy separation. But, you know, I because I was a producer, going back to Sanborn, I hated that, by the way. Producing is just too much work. Yeah. It's um, a long day, right? It's long You're days. responsible for too many things. Like mm-hmm. You're talking about uh, the law firm. You got good at that, but I wasn't good at handling all aspects and all the people and the moving parts. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And I just did it to make some money until that company shut down and I got let go. Um, But now it's like now I'm in a spot where I actually feel like my job is more so looking out for the people who work for me, mm-hmm. with me. I don't even like the power dynamics. I don't want to talk about it like that. Right. But the way because you don't. um because it's not uh, a fully a part of your identity it doesn't take up all of your identity and um you i think you enjoy looking out for people i feel like that's the perfect place for you to be yeah in a weird way it's turned into this thing that i never even imagined yeah that i actually do get confidence and fulfillment out of uh and i'm becoming better at you know, when you're younger, also in careers early on, yeah. you're scared to ask questions for whatever reason, like mm-hmm. as though maybe some managers are assholes and they would hold that against you. But that's like, true. Like treating you like that's a dumb question. Yeah. It's like ask questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you feel overwhelmed, tell me. It's like people are people. They're not cogs in a fucking machine. Right. And I'm able to understand and look out for people. And yeah, that's something that I am enjoying. So, you know, that is the progression so far. And then the creative stuff, I do things on the side, like this podcast, even though I didn't want to talk at the beginning. Now all you've done is talk. I know. You haven't, <laughs> you haven't spoken for like 30 minutes. Because I realized like we were so deep into the podcast and I wasn't even into the career part. Yeah. So I just like, let's just fly through it, the back and forth, and we'll get to yours to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. 
But that sounds like let's just fly through it because the point of the show to me was like the progression, and I'm sure it's the same for most people. This isn't revolutionary thought process here, but uh, it you know early jobs suck. You probably sucked at those. You found something you liked, then you did a better job, but then you found out the thing you liked mm-hmm. came with all these things you didn't expect, and all these people you had to deal with, and you had to figure out a way through that. And some people I think never get through that, and then they're just miserable their whole lives. And then it, hopefully you know though you can find a place where there's balance and. You can find some peace in what you do and 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 balance it with things that you do like if you're not getting all of those met in your job uh, and other parts of your life. And even then, it's still a battle not to be miserable, but <laughs> but it's maybe the best. And, you know, as as jobs go. That's uh, that was the point of this. Well, and I found the of, arc to be interesting. A lot of people um, maybe I think that you're experience and my experience are not based on what we did in college you know what we were doing what dropout well whatever whatever <laughs> you're whatever you know what i mean like the the path that is sort of sold to you as a kid is in high school or whatever is that you'll go to college after high school and you'll find your career and you'll start your career based on what you did in college and I think that that's a lucky group of people that 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 happens for and they're happy doing that. Um, like they've chosen well, I guess, what they want to do in college or maybe they've just like been lucky and chosen something that happened to work out for them or that they liked because people coming out of high school don't always know what they want to do. And so they choose something. And then what if it's a good thing? And then they get the job in that field. That's great. But like I said, I think it's a small percentage of people where that either actually happens or they're actually happy. And I think with us, um, I didn't, I went to um, like a trade school, like a a local college in Lawrenceville um, after high school. I didn't finish. Um, I quit. Uh, school to be an intern for the regular guys on 96 rock clear channel. And that's how I got into the promotions work there. That's how I got on air on the buzz like you, except you were much better at it. I got into some voice work and that's where um, Eric and I, you know, formed our relationship and you and I formed our relationship and me and Tim formed our relationship and, and English Nick, like this is where I met everybody. Um, but then, uh, oh, and then uh, uh, the regular guys were can't or were thrown off the air, and that's when Eric started his mad pundit thing. So that's where like some of these um, seeds were planted, I think, with these like long lasting oak trees now of friendships <laughs> and relationships, and also your career. Now you're on the show with Eric. Um, yeah, but but I skip. But then there's a lot of time in between where I. I, I start doing other things and I don't get back into sort of an entertainment. Which is that, what did you even want to do? Mm, I don't know. You were aimless. No, I, I wouldn't call it aimless. I would say I was open. And that's, I think that that's what some people need. You know what I mean? There was this, there was this girl I met once who was, um, she was in college. She was at some like dinky little school going to college um, she got an opportunity for a summer or maybe to take a semester off to go work on a cruise ship. Um, and then she would come back to school and I was telling her, I was like, you've got to do that. You know what I mean? School will always be there. 
you know, you're dedicated to go back to school. That's fine. And listen, even if you don't go back to school, if you find something, you know, you're, you'll be a lot, you know, it'll, it'll be like a huge life experience for you. She still lived in the town where she grew up, where her mom and dad are down the road. You know what I mean? I was like, get on that cruise ship and go. She didn't. She stayed because people are afraid and people think like, well, I'm in school. And so I have to stay in school and I have to get a job in this field because now I've spent all this time and effort getting into this major or whatever. And now that's my own. like, no, sometimes you need experience in your life to know how to be happy in what you're doing or how to find what makes you happy in what you're doing. So I was all about just like, let's go. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to quit school. Fuck it. You know, I'm going to wake up at, you know, 3.30 in the morning to get to the, to get down to Atlanta from Lawrenceville every weekday and be treated like shit by the producer of that show for, <laughs> for however long and then uh, not make any money and like put my rent on credit card, you know, like build up some $5,000 debt at 19, 20, I'm sorry, uh, 20 years old. Like, great, let's do that. Is that good on paper? No. But if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here with you. I wouldn't be on the show with Eric because I would never have given myself that opportunity. And I think that experiencing your life is much more important. And then you've experienced life and then you know how to have a how to find and get yourself into a career or just so you can make money as an adult and be happy. It is interesting that uh yeah, you never know where things are going to go. And like you said, at some point you have to get yourself just in a position, right place, right time, especially early on, I feel as though. Sometimes when- getting yourself into that position is scary or may seem reckless, but could end up being either gaining experience, life experience, having a story to tell and, you know. About- but it's it's hard when you're that young mm-hmm. because you're impatient. And there's this idea that you talk to people in like their mid to late 20s. And they're freaking out. I should be further along in my career. I'm failing. I get it. I felt the same way. Like when I talked about this period of freelancing, it was more so as like, I don't know what I'm doing. Radio's done. The station's Mm -hmm. gone. I need to figure out what I want to do. And I felt like a loser. I was like 29 years old. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing now. I'll just freelance. And then I just ended up doing nothing because (laughs) I shut down, um, which is childish, but yeah, and then you realize as the time goes on that some of these things come back. I mean, the fact that I've never actually been out of radio fully. Like even when the station went away in New York, this one guy who did a specialty show on Sunday nights who was doing a show that he wanted to do. Uh, it was like a free-form radio show, and it was music-centric, but because it was his idea and it was not just being done because that's the way radio was supposed to do, and I was co-hosting it with him, but I was like the color commentary. I didn't need to know mm. shit about music. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, and he got that station on some smaller stations in the New York area, and I continued that for a few years. And then I kind of got tired of that, though. I mean, it's his show, and I was having to commute to New Jersey. Uh, you know, Then that's about the time Eric started up the Basement Podcasts. And then I did that and obviously have been joining the show on WSB twice a week and it it serves that need. Mm-hmm. Like the truth is if I were working on that show full time, I, I probably would not be so comfortable Mm-mm. to put it lightly just because it's Eric's show and that's fair. But it's like I don't want to be there constantly for his show if I can't have some creative input. So right now it serves that purpose and it's great and I love it. And, you know, that goes back to your point, though. It's like things that happened years and years ago Mm -hmm. and come back 
um, you know, when you're younger too, it's like, don't burn bridges. You hear that, like, fuck that. I'm burning this bridge. I'm burning <laughs> that bridge. This person's an idiot. Yeah. Whatever bridges I did burn, they probably weren't in an, in an industry, especially right. like radio where there's such turnover and people are all of, you never know who you're going to run into again, even if it's a person you don't like and they could have influence on whether or not you get a job. But, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, I burned those bridges. Like, that's not a person I want to know anyway. Right. So still not probably. You could the run into them in another uh, uh, job in that industry and yeah. you wouldn't be happy working with them anyway. Yeah. It's still not the best thing to do. But. Of course. <laughs> So after uh, I was an intern, um, I was also working at a daycare center, which I was just fabulous at. Just kidding. And I was in promotions, doing the buzz. I was doing some voiceover work. That was really, I felt like I love this voiceover stuff. Um, But voiceover, um, when someone needs you something quick, you know, is real easy. Um, But then getting into like the business of voiceover is just like not as hard, but really hard, like being an actor and being successful. Well, it's highly competitive. And it's now it's very, very easy for, so everyone can just <laughs> yeah. do it from home. Yeah. And so now you have even more competition. And my voice isn't like, like a great, you know, like announcer voice, you know, it's not that it's more personal, personal and it's something, but it's not what, it's not something that could go across a billion different spectrums of voiceover work. But anyway, uh, which is fine. We worked it out. <laughs> worked at Mad Pundit with Eric Von Hessler. Worked at a law firm again as a secretary. I kind of left them in the lurch. But um, uh, Tim, who was a promotions director at 96 Rock, helped me out by um, giving one of the lawyers there like tickets to the Eagles or something. As <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Because they were, I started working there under the pretense that this was going to be like a long-term thing. They were going through many secretaries and they didn't want, it was really just a front desk job. They didn't want to have like a bunch of turnover. And I told them, I was like, yep, I'm in. But then I was not in. So I fucked them up, but hopefully the Eagles tickets helped. And then, (laughs) uh, I worked at Starbucks, which I loved. I just told you that this weekend. You didn't know I worked at a Starbucks. I never knew you worked at a Starbucks. Yeah. I was, a. uh, I loved the drive-through. People hated being on drive-through and I loved it because my my thing is um I like pleasing the hard to please, you know? And I feel like if I can't please the hard to please then they're just assholes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like put me in and I'll do it. So anyway, I loved that job. Um I worked at this place called Planet Jam. <laughs> Uh, which was just like a content creation for different radio stations across the country. And I also answered um, uh, customer service emails that people would email through those websites. And I created these games that they would play and uh, sweepstakes. And it was great. Uh, I worked at, from there, I worked at Mellow Mushroom, where that's when I learned that I was actually a, a great waitress. And um, one day I was serving uh, the, these two people on a date and the girl, the woman, uh, said that I was too good to be working there and I should come work at the W with her as a cocktail waitress because I would make a bunch more money and I was good at my job. And I was like, okay. So I checked that out and then I started cocktailing over there. It was before, it was the one in, um, it wasn't a W, it wasn't really the W hotel that you think of now where like, 
the wait the the cocktail waitresses at other W's were like high heel shoes and tight dresses and real short skirts. I was much more of a like, I'm just gonna wear all black and be cute. <laughs> you know, I wasn't wearing high heel shoes or being sexual in any way. And I think they wanted me to be, but I never was. So maybe they didn't like me. But I got that was a really fun job. That's where I did a lot of drinking. That's where I really got my drinking bones was that job. And that was really fun. Um, so I worked at W and then I uh, stopped working there and worked at this place called Wahoo Indicator. Um, I was also really good at that job. That's the job I was telling you about where it's like there were these other girls who were waitresses bitching about tables. And I was like, not mine. I got all the good tips because I'm a kick ass waitress. And then I worked. Oh, and then I graduated. I started going to school at some point after that Planet Jam job. After 17 jobs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, maybe I'll <laughs> focus a bit. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't say that judgmentally. No, it's, it's, just, true. it's just funny. As you sit here, I'm not commentating on much of this because I know there's so much on your list. <laughs> so I'm just going to let you run there's through. There's just it. a couple more. There's just a couple more. Well, so. it illustrates the point. Like, it's like, you know, you're doing a lot and you're like, it still turned out okay in the end. Mm hmm. Yeah. And you think, um, oh, I'm in my, you know, later 20s and a lot of my friends are married and have a kid or they've bought a house. and stuff. I'm not and doing that. I'll do that in three years. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> well, okay. I felt like too late already. But anyway, so I graduated. So I decided to go to school for linguistics. And it was it was good because I it, it mixed two things I liked, which was um language I thought was cool. I didn't know much about what that meant. And also dealing with um, people because you got to a lot of linguistics. You think it's just like learning a bunch of languages, which that's not what it is. It's about um, looking into like uh, the use of language. And um, there's a lot of field work that you can do if you become like a scientist in that way that you can like interview people. And so I was interested in that. Anyway, I graduated with a linguistics degree and a sort of a minor sort of in uh, sign language. I continued to learn more sign language, um, but I started teaching English as a second language at this place called ICT. It was a tech school. Um, it was a weird company to work for. They seemed um, a little less principled than I would enjoy i would i would like they just wanted money they wanted money and they would they would sign they they financed um people's student loans like their own like they had their own bank okay and and they would uh sign students up for like four years as like a loan and if you didn't graduate then you would still owe all the like it was there was yeah, they're gross. They're preying on people who want yeah. to learn English to better their lives. But they're foreigners, well, you know, and they didn't. They're anyway. living the American dream. I came to America and took advantage of other people. I've really got to figure it out. I'm a real American. Oh, now. I'm saying no, not the people who owned it were oh. foreigners. The people that were there were foreigners. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. felt like they were being taken taken advantage. That's what I just of. yeah. That's what I just said. They're they're, they're preying on these people who want to learn English yes. to better their lives. Yeah. It's gross. It I, gross. I did misunderstand you, and, and I thought that you meant that the owners were also no mm -mm. people that moved here and started that school. Yeah, but yeah, it's I loved that job. Um, I loved hearing their stories, and it was really—I'll just say this last. I know we're almost done. Um, uh, my my the most the, the thing that I got the most out of that job was that people who don't speak English 
aren't new to this country. Some of them have been here for 20 years and they're extremely conversational with you, but they can't write. Like they can't spell things. They don't know what certain things are called at the grocery store and are confused by stuff like that. Um, and people who don't speak English coming from another country who are in this country working as janitors were like pilots in Brazil, you know, or um, were dental assistants in in Argentina, you know, and it's crazy that to have that kind of um, education and background and then to come to another country and have to do like menial jobs because you can't speak English. That was really mind uh, uh, eye opening for me. And then uh, Eric, I got I was pregnant. Eric approached me uh, after his job ended <laughs> and um, asked me to come into his basement and start doing the show with him and that's and that's how uh the von hessler doctrine started now you're here at his mercy for you know however much longer he does the show yeah and you'll still be young just shutting up and doing voices and you'll be working age when he retires and you have to figure out what to do next yeah so hey you know what as the, long as i stay open the journey continues <laughs> that's right Your journey does. of endless jobs continues <laughs> and i also have added to that by door dashing yeah, in in within general, my job, I'm starting another job, DoorDashing. In general, it has changed in the sense like my dad worked for the same company his whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't work like that anymore. People are always all over the place, so that's just become a way of life. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's interesting, and you know, you're prepped for it. People get unsettled when they have to go find another job. Of course, you look at a list, yeah. and you're like, I've had fifty. It's fine. <laughs> it's unsettling. People want security and you know, calm waters, but sometimes the choppy waters are the ones that make you stronger. Yeah, if they don't drown you. Well, that's true. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to one topic. I hope you guys liked this one. I liked this one, even though Greg, it, I feel like it really turned your mood around. It's fine. Well, don't uh, just uh, uh, end it. Okay. <sighs> you can't, even if my mood's turned around, the moment's called attention to, and I have to start speaking oh, to it. Oh, what a baby. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe, rate and review. Please leave a review on uh, on iTunes. We like to see those no, numbers. No, only a good review. We, we like to see those numbers go up. I don't those... want any just any review. And then uh, check out our uh, sponsor, HoffandPepper.com. Get some really great tasty hot sauce. They have lots of different kinds. When we say that they're our sponsor, sorry, I know I told you to wrap it up. We, and we don't make money off of it. We've never seen a dime from them. It's just because Autumn's <laughs> best friends with the owner. Yeah, we're supposed to get money from it, but I'm I not just, asking. I also just assume that maybe people aren't going because I put the commercial at the end of the episode <laughs> instead of the beginning. Put it at the beginning on this No, one. I'm not putting... No. Fine. Uh, use the code one topic fifteen to get fifteen percent off. The holidays are coming. Gift the gift of Hudson. Yeah, if you've made it to an hour and twenty minutes in, listen to the Hoff and Pepper commercial and just a little bit longer. Listen through to that commercial and buy uh, someone you love some really, uh, honestly, really great hot sauce. Greg. Hey, Autumn. Do you like hot sauce? You know, I do like hot sauce, but I'm getting pretty bored of my regular Texas Peter Tabasco. I'm looking for a local sauce without mm. any additives or extracts, a company that uses local peppers so it's as fresh as possible, and a company that really cares about the integrity of the sauce and where their ingredients come from. Definitely. And hey, while we're at it, 
I don't want a sauce with too many ingredients. Mm -mm. You know, a lot of other sauces out there, they have all kinds of fillers. So I'd love to find a sauce with, I don't know, what? Let's say no more than five ingredients. I mean, it's crazy, but there's got to be a company out there that hand processes their sauce. You know, bottling and labeling every bottle themselves. I'm probably asking a lot. Well, you really are, but there is a hot sauce out there who only uses five ingredients, what? zero fillers, huh? additives, or extracts, and who bottles, labels, and packages everything themselves. It's called Hoff Sauce. What? They're a small batch hot sauce company out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, that's won best Louisiana-style sauce in the country. How many times? Not once, not twice, three times. Three times! How does that sound, Greg? I think that sounds amazing. You know how you can get your own bottle of no, hot sauce? No, no, tell me please now. Hoffandpepper.com. And not only am I giving you the gift of the best hot sauce that you'll ever taste, I'm going to give you 15% off if you use the code 1TOPIC15. Hold on, that's... Yes, get a pen and paper. One topic 15. Good. That's O-N-E-T-O-P-I-C-1-5. All squished together at checkout. You'll get 15% off your order and your life will be better. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome.